You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Welcome to Dental Talk. I'm Dr. Phil Klein. Today we'll be discussing post-pandemic compliance, and we'll also be discussing the latest updates on OSHA and bloodborne pathogen regulations. Our guest is Dr. Carson Carpenter, a practicing dentist who serves as president of Compliance Training Partners. He is an OSHA-approved trainer who has for over 25 years designed educational programs to bring dental and medical facilities into compliance with governmental regulations, including OSHA, HIPAA, and infection control. Dr. Carpenter, it's a pleasure to have you on Dental Talk. Great to be back, Phil. Always enjoy doing my show with you. Yeah, and your latest webinar that you just did was fantastic. You got over 700 people on it. So those of you who have not tapped into that webinar, please do. It's titled Post-Pandemic Compliance, Update on OSHA and Bloodborne Pathogen Regulations. So to begin this webinar, what are the latest changes from OSHA regarding dental office requirements? Where are we right now? Well, you know, it's, it's really appropriate uh, that, that we're doing this podcast uh, right now. In fact, you think back, Phil, when we schedule it, uh, we didn't even know that things were going to change, but they changed just a few weeks ago. And basically, there is what's called an emergency temporary standard from OSHA. And that puts certain requirements on healthcare facilities, and that included dentistry. And, and this was the standard that required us, for example, to wear N95 respirators, uh, even on screened patients, uh, to wear face shields, basically to change our whole approach to infection control. But right now, most dental offices in this country are exempt from the emergency temporary standard. This is all brand new. It makes it a lot easier. It basically allows us to go back pretty close to practicing the way we did. So now we've got the variants. Uh, does that complicate things at all? You know, right now, um, it has not changed this ruling. It could in the future. I mean, I think we've all heard that uh, certain states are actually considering uh, mask mandates again. That being said, the reason I don't think it'll change a lot in the dental office is even though we're exempt from this emergency temporary standard, we still have to be doing certain things to be exempt, to stay exempt, namely screening everybody who comes in, both patients and non-patients, uh, screening staff, um, and of course, uh, in the office, wearing masks, wear, wearing masks uh, at all times. So, so as long as we're doing those things, we may not see any changes. Yeah, I went to the dentist yesterday, actually. I went in there and they took my temperature as soon as I walked in the door. Now, they didn't do that the first visit. So uh, now they're back to uh, taking the temperature. So they've, they've switched over. In Austin, Texas, we're in stage four. And a week ago, we were stage two. So things are changing fairly rapidly, as you said earlier in this podcast. So what if several staff members are not vaccinated in the office? Does this change anything at all? You know, it really doesn't. First of all, let me state that I believe we're all in healthcare. We all should be vaccinated. Please educate your staff on, on, on how safe this immunization is. Uh, most patients go, are going to expect that we're all immunized, and, and they'd be awfully surprised and, and disappointed if we weren't. That being said, um, as long as those staff members, again, are being screened daily, they are still allowed to work. I would certainly say, though, that if they're uh, not vaccinated, they need to be social distancing from other team members. Uh, but, but again, they are exempt from the emergency temporary standard as long as they're screening patients, non-patients, and staff. So what do we say uh, 
to a patient, what do we do when a patient asks, are all of your staff members vaccinated against COVID? What's the best way to approach that? You know, there's actually several ways that are correct. Of course, what would be really easy if you could look them in the eye and say, yes, they, they are all vaccinated. That would be the best of both worlds. And, and that's what I insist on from my staff. Um, I, I think this is just my opinion. Uh, as an employer, we are allowed to create the rules of the road. And I feel a, a healthcare staff should all be vaccinated. But if you have staff members that aren't and a patient asks, I think that one thing you can say is that you know, there are certain HIPAA requirements. We can't really state that, but I can assure you, we are following all CDC and OSHA guidelines for your safety. Okay, so based on HIPAA privacy, uh, yes. you don't have to reveal whether a staff member is vaccinated or not. You really don't. And I know that can get a little uncomfortable when a staff, when then the, the uh, patient says, well, but, but I wanna know, is everybody vaccinated again? You're going to have to repeat um, that. You know, I, I can't really release that information, but I can assure you, you're very safe. We're following all CDC guidance. Now, you could choose to tell them that you've got a staff member or two that aren't vaccinated. That would be your choice as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're not violating HIPAA by revealing that. You would not. Now, if you went and told them which staff members were not vaccinated, that would be the problem. If the patient's sitting in a chair and the assistant comes over, the you know after comes over and, and, and wants to put the temporary on, and you reveal that maybe somebody isn't vaccinated, and they ask, is Mary the one? What do you do then? Mary could let them know if she wanted. Right. She could say, I'm vaccinated or I'm not. But uh, we can't let them know that Mary is not vaccinated. It creates a difficult situation. And of course, it's usually not a problem except with the most difficult patients. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but it can be uncomfortable, right? Without a doubt. No, it's good to know. So, and I really do hope that at this point, most of the team members, if not all of the team members are vaccinated. And uh, on that topic, how effective are these vaccines against the variants? Right now, they seem to provide remarkable protection against the variant. And I think a statistic that I saw from the CDC yesterday really tells the whole story. Of the people uh, hospitalized in this country for COVID right now, 97% of them are unvaccinated. So, so think about that. I mean, that, that, that really is a compelling reason to be immunized. It does provide some great protection against the Delta variant at this point. Mm -hmm. So let's start with masks, and then we'll uh, ask you to talk about some of the other PPE requirements uh, where we are today. And by the way, I do want to say that our sponsor for this podcast is Cranberry, who makes really phenomenal products in as far as PPE. They make masks, gloves, even rubber dams. Great company, very high quality. There's certainly a lot to look into in, in, those, in that product line. So if you're interested, you could Google Cranberry and learn more about their products as far as PPE. So starting with masks, what kind of masks should we be wearing in the office? And where are we with N95 respirators? Sure, I'd be glad to go over that because that's a question. Here at Compliance Training Partners, our technical services line, that's a question that we're getting every day. There's a lot of confusion about respiratory protection. Let me talk about masks, first of all, and I'm speaking of surgical masks. There's an organization called ASTM International, and they are the ones who test and rate masks. And surgical masks are going to be rated either a level one, a level two, or a level three. Now, 
they get to those ratings uh, by a couple of different things. Uh, things like uh, ability to withstand flame, uh, which isn't so important to us, but what is important is their ability to filter uh, out a, a bacterial aerosol, as well as their fluid resistance. So a level one surgical mask, which is a basic mask, uh, filters out 95% of bacteria containing aerosols that are three microns uh, or larger. Now, the only problem is it's not fluid resistant. So to me, a level one mask is something that you would use for examinations, or it would be something that, say, your front desk staff would wear. Whereas a level two and a level three, they filter out 98%, so they have a little better filtration. A level two has moderate fluid resistance. A level three has very good fluid resistance. So to me, in a dental office, for doing clinical procedures, we're talking about wearing level two and level three masks because of their ability uh, to resist fluid penetration. So level one could be still used today for front desk people, those that are- Absolutely, I think a great place to use a level one, if you would like, would be uh, an exam at the front desk, uh, maybe an orthodontic procedure that generates absolutely uh, no fluid, for example. But most things we do in dentistry, we're running a high-speed or low-speed handpiece, right? So I, I feel a level two or level three would be appropriate. Okay, so either one is acceptable, two or three, for aerosol-creating procedures. Correct, correct. Whereas before, in the uh, emergency temporary standard, when it did affect us, if there was any aerosol-generating procedure, uh, so in other words, if we were using a high-speed, a low-speed, an ultrasonic, the three-way you know, air-water syringe, we needed to be wearing an N95. As long as we're, and again, I want to emphasize this because it's so important, as long as we're screening everybody who comes into that office, we don't have to wear that N95 anymore. Okay. And one thing I should mention- When, when was that lifted? Right, right around the beginning of July. Beginning of July. Okay. When that changed. And one thing I should mention, Phil, a, a bit of a shout out to Cranberry, is what I like about Cranberry masks is they actually, I always say, read the label. If you look on a Cranberry mask, they clearly state if they're level one, level two, or level three. And to me, that's important. A lot of the sheet masks do not do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what's really interesting is that um, some of these companies that sell infection control products, they actually have a box, right? And they're basically filling the box with any manufacturer that could give them the best price. It, they literally, it's the same box, they bid out the product order, and then they say, drop in your gloves, whatever, or drop in your masks, and then it gets shipped out to the dental dealer or directly to the dentist, however they sell it. But Cranberry is very uh, meticulous about quality control. Have you found that as well? Oh, I have. I have. It's, it's truly a quality product, and it's, it's actually quite reasonably priced, but truly, it is a quality product, and they make it easy in that they let you know what the mask is capable of doing because to me it's all about selecting the right product it's it's really important just like you had mentioned n95s keep in mind that the only offices in the united states right now that need to use an n95 would be if this was an office that treated known or suspected covid 19 patients which really means in dentistry a hospital-based practice that that has to be a practice with a negative air pressure room, 
that has UV filter or UV disinfection and HEPA filters. And, and you know, we're, we're talking about a room that has what's called airborne precautions, according to the CDC. That's just not the dental practices out there in the U.S. We're talking about, you know, 0.05% of the dental practices. So, again, most of us are exempt from the standard. We don't need N95s. Right. But, again, this is all contingent upon screening. Now, if you screen a patient and they pass the screening regimen, but then they still have the virus, then the, the N95 would actually be better to have because um, the screening is not 100%. You know, you're, you're right. You're right. And, and I'll tell you, uh, uh, an N95 is, of course, a, a great uh, filtration device. It's truly a respirator. A respirator is, of course, designed to protect the person who's wearing it, where a mask really, in many ways, is designed to protect the people who we're treating. But I will tell you, there are a lot of practitioners who are continuing to wear N95s, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But I will tell you, I myself, I'm not wearing them now. A really comforting statistic, think, think about this. The physicians and nurses, their rate of COVID was 25%. 25% of them had COVID. The rate of the general public that had COVID is approximately six, six and a half percent. The rate of dental personnel that had COVID is 2.6%. I mean, think about that. We should be really proud what we've accomplished in dentistry. Uh, we, we really have a low risk if we're wearing our PPE. Yeah, and it sure didn't seem that way when this pandemic started. There was such a fear among hygienists, especially with the aerosols. I mean, that was the most, quote unquote, dangerous job on the planet during the pandemic is to be a dental hygienist. I know they made it sound terrible. They really scared everybody. And, and you know, again, all during COVID, I worked, but I worked with uh, N95 respirator, felt perfectly safe. I thought there was more of a chance of, of, of dying on the drive from my house to the office. So, um, right. You know, so it's, at, at it's this point out. in time, the screening process is still going strong. Let's just clarify that, right? We, in order to be exempt, we must be screening these patients as they come in the door. Yes, that's correct. Not only patients, any quote, quote, anybody who enters the facility, if you want to be an exempt office, and trust me, you do, you, you want to be exempt, screen everybody who comes into the office. That doesn't mean you have to do a temperature check. That's optional. And by the way, I think it's a great idea. We're going to continue to do that, I think, forever. It only takes, what, five seconds? Not even that. Um, yeah, yesterday, I, as I said, I went to the dentist, and they, they used that uh, thermometer that's digital, and it just points at your forehead, and it's over. You know, it really makes sense. And th think about how much respiratory disease we could screen out or viral disease by doing that long term for five seconds. I mean, mm -hmm. right. so we're gonna, that's one of those things that's going to be a holdover from COVID that's a good thing, right? We're, we're going to continue to do this screening. But again, your office, Phil, could decide they're going to do temperature checks on everybody who enters the facility. My office might decide we're only going to do screening questions. We're both right. We both could be exempt from the temporary standard. You choose which way you'd like to do it. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So what are some of the other PPE requirements and, and how have they changed? In, in terms of how they've changed in, in the sense that they've gone back to normal, Remember before we had to wear face shields if we were doing aerosol generating procedures. Now we don't. We could use a face shield if we want. Many doctors continue to do so, but we don't have to. As long as we're wearing safety eyewear, in other words, eyewear with side shields. 
Um, the other thing would be clothing. Um, a lot of people don't realize the, the standard has always required that our personal protective clothing be long sleeve, high neck, and be left at the office for laundering or pick up by a laundry service or use of disposable. But what's changed is we've gone back to that. We no longer have to change those gowns between patients. We would only need to change them end of the day or if they're visibly soiled. So, so in that sense, it's gone back to norm. Mm -hmm. And gloves, what are you looking for in a glove um, and how do you choose the right one? And as I mentioned earlier, the companies that send that box around and bid out the cheapest bid that comes in the door, uh, that means that the dental professionals are getting a different product each time in the same box. So the consistency of the quality varies greatly when they're constantly using different glove manufacturers. So it's really important, as I stated earlier, that you know that the company that you're buying the product from is actually making it under strict quality control protocol. You know, I'll tell you, you're right, and that is a real problem, is in inconsistency. And that's one thing I do like about Cranberry, a high-quality glove manufacturer that controls their manufacturing, you get consistency. Because I'll tell you, as, as an OSHA guy, one of the things I talk about is ergonomics. And one of the problems we have in dentistry, of course, is we have a lot of problems with, with uh, repetitive motion things, particularly carpal tunnel. And you know, at one time I thought I had a problem with carpal tunnel until I got a decent glove that fit right. Because if your glove doesn't fit right and your hands are constantly in, in a state of tonus, you know, it's, it's curving your fingers a little. Let me tell you, you'll have pain at the end of the day. So find a quality glove, again, like a cranberry, that fits you right and then continue to buy that. That consistency will protect you over a career, what a career of 30, 40 years, you need to be wearing something that fits you properly. Yeah, and then there's ambidextrous gloves versus left and right. Could you talk about them briefly as well? I will, you know, the, there, there seems to be a, a big difference in fit for most people when you have a left and right glove. I mean, I know myself, if I wear an ambidextrous glove, my, my fingers hurt at the end of the day. Um, I, I really prefer a glove that has a right and a left. Yeah, and then there's also latex allergies and so forth. And these gloves that claim that there's no latex, you have to make sure that there really isn't and they're not mixed with other gloves that have latex. So these are very important things, especially in a profession where you have gloves on so many hours of the day, you're vulnerable to dermatitis and all these other issues that could occur from wearing a glove for many hours. That is another good thing about the Cranberry product line is if you're like me, you still like to use latex gloves. I mean, I just like the feel of them, but of course I have nitrile available as well. What's nice is the Cranberry gloves, if it's a large in a latex, the large and the nitrile fits the same way. So, so um, there, there are doctors who've decided to go totally latex-free I still like the feel of latex, but obviously I, I occasionally can't wear it. This has been an excellent podcast, Dr. Carpenter, really good insight in, into where we are today and just the regulations that are put upon us as dental professionals. It's pretty overwhelming, but now that you've explained very clearly how we are kind of exempt from the emergency state, we don't have to worry about the respirators and so forth as long as we're doing the proper screening for both employees for patients, for a delivery person who comes in the door. If we're doing that, we're exempt, and that does make it a lot easier for our practices. 
Um, where do you think we are headed with compliance in general in dentistry? Well, you know, I always try to find something good that comes out of something bad. And one thing I will say about COVID, it's really made people aware of compliance. It's really pushed it to the forefront. And, and I think that, that where, where we're going at as we move forward is people are more interested in compliance. They're, they're wearing the PPE as they should. I see people who never wore long sleeves uh, wearing them. I see people who who weren't doing laundry in the office, doing it in the office, or using disposal, uh, disposable, I should say. Also training, the annual required training. I mean, that's what we do at Compliance Training Partners, and we've really seen the volume of online training go up dramatically, as well as attendance of webinars, like the one last night you mentioned that, that had uh, so many people on it. So where's it going? I think more consistency and compliance, more appreciation for it. And, you know, quite honestly, doctors need to protect their business from liability and being in compliance protects their practice. Yeah. And so if our uh, audience wants to learn more about compliance training partners, is there a website you want to recommend? Um, they could Google compliance training partners or just simply go to compliance training partners.com and you'll find a lot of things there specifically on COVID, including some COVID plans that need to be downloaded and and everybody should be following. Excellent. Very good information. Thanks again, Dr. Carpenter. Uh, again, we appreciate all you've done in educating our Viva Learning audience, both in webinars and podcasts. And we thank our sponsor, Cranberry. And let's look forward to better times when this pandemic is gone. That would be very welcoming to all of us. Thanks again, Phil. And thanks again for inviting me. I always enjoy doing these with you. I look forward to the next one. Thank you very much.